Hey, uh, I want to welcome both of our campuses. You say, wait a minute, both of our campuses. Today is a very special day for our LaGrange campus. Today they launched their second service. I want to welcome you. If you're worshiping with us from the city of LaGrange, it's great to have you. If you're here at our Noonan campus, I want to say welcome. We're in our series called Adventus. This is something we started years ago. I love this season of our church. Here's why. Because we get to talk about like timeless, priceless things about the story of Christmas, but we get to tell it through the lens of Advent. And really the original word for Advent was Adventus. Some of you don't know that, but we went old school, okay? We went back to the original word. And so for four or five weeks here, we celebrate this series called Adventus. And this year we're focusing uh, on worship during this season. We're talking about how do, we, how do we worship God through the lens of Christmas, right? So we're talking about heaven and earth, about how all of heaven and earth worship God. And, and so we're very, very excited about that. Today, uh, I just want to say this. Last week, Caleb and what he said, man, it was amazing about how Mary worshiped God in the moment when God brought her one of the greatest life-changing announcements of her life. What did she do? She sat down and she penned a song and she gave glory back to God. She worshiped God. And, and really what we learned last week is that worship is about responding to God, right? And we can't respond to God without a relationship with God. And so Caleb did a phenomenal job. So today we're going to continue in that series. Um, I want to say this, you know, when you think about worship and when you specifically think about Christmas, they have a lot of things that connect. In other words, let me say it this way. Have you noticed that when Christmas season first starts, everybody is very excited. And then at the end, everybody is worn out, right? And uh, Christmas music, it's kind of that way. How many of you have ever noticed that their Christmas music sounds totally different on November 26th to us than it does on December 26th to us, right? So if you're like me, right after Thanksgiving meal, you listen to your, like your first Christmas song because it's, you know, on that XM channel that your husband and wife or grandma or whatever wants to listen to. And, and you're turning it on and you're listening to it and you hear these, these stringed instruments and all of a sudden you hear this crooning voice of Ben Crosby and he speaks out these words. It's beginning to look a lot. You know, I mean, that's like the first moment. And on December 26th, you're like, woo, okay. And then on December 20, November 26th, you're excited. December 26th, you're like, oh, if I hear that song one more time, I'm going to kill all of Ben Crosby's family and his descendants. Like, I do not want to hear any more Christmas music. But it's weird because just like with worship and just like with Christmas, we get so familiar to the things that happen in our life that the familiarity costs us the wonder of Christmas. It costs us the wonder of worship. Familiarity always costs us the wonder of Christmas. I mean, think about it. When you were four, Christmas seemed magical. And now that you're 34, it's stressful, right? You don't even think about it in the same way. We've lost the wonder. So what we want to do in the series is, is we want to bring back some of the wonder of Christmas. And we, most importantly, we want to bring back some of the wonder of worship. Who God is. Who God is. So i got to tell you the story. In 1999, I was serving as a student pastor in the city of Austin, Texas. 
And I had some amazing youth leaders. Like they, I mean, all my volunteer leaders, they were some of the most amazing people I've ever served with. And they loved their student pastors, so they would do little things for me all the time. Like they would write me notes, and they would take me to dinner, and they would love on our family, and they'd take care of our son. And it was this, we were just, we were like family with them. And, uh, and they found out somehow that I loved Krispy Kreme donuts back in that day. And so one of my uh, youth workers, she decided she was going to write corporate headquarters. So she sat down and she wrote them a letter. And, and basically, like, a month after she wrote that letter, I got a letter back from Krispy Kreme. And here's what it said. Dear Mr. Smith, you have been uniquely chosen to attend an upcoming VIP event of the very first Krispy Kreme to open in the city of Austin, Texas. As of this day, we are considering you an ambassador of Krispy Kreme. I went, whoa, some people get invited to like, you know, inaugural parties. Some people get like invited to go to like the Super Bowl. I got invited to go to the opening night of Krispy Kreme. So I took it, and I was like, yeah, I've got to bring a friend with me. We jumped out, and I'll never forget, we were about a half a mile away from where the Krispy Kreme was opening there in Austin, right off Highway 183. And, and as we got about a half a mile away, you could see all these lights. They had brought in flashing lights that were flashing all over the city. I mean, it was like a red carpet premiere. I get out, and I hear country music playing. Country music and donuts, they go together, okay? And, and I'm sitting here thinking, wow, this is pretty awesome. They have this massive tent set up outside the Krispy Kreme store. And I walk in the tent, and there are major recording artists who play on Austin City Limits who are in the tent playing songs in celebration of the opening of a Krispy Kreme store. And I'm there. And I'm just like... Okay, and I'm thinking to myself, this is awesome. And I walk through the line, I put the hat on, I'm getting dozens of donuts. And, and, and I mean, it was just like for an hour and a half, it was like amazing. And I went home and I told my wife, I said, who would have thought you could make such a big deal about the opening of a donut store? Who would have thought? And then about a week later, I'm driving on my way to work and I have to pass Krispy Kreme on the way to work. And I noticed that there are police officers all the way outside the Krispy Kreme, and there are are cars lined up off of the drive to get into Krispy Kreme, all the way into the exit to get off the highway. They are backed up on the highway trying to get into the parking lot, into the drive-thru to go to Krispy Kreme. And I thought, wow, for a donut. How cool. And so, you know, I, I worm my way in, I wait in line, I get some donuts, and like a month later, I went back, and there are still private security hired and off-duty police officers who were directing traffic into the parking lot of Krispy Kreme. And I'm like, holy cow, this is crazy. And then something weird happened. About three months later, I showed up one day, There were no police officers, no police cars, nobody standing in line, nobody cared. And it was sad because here's what had happened. (laughs) Krispy Kreme had become corner common. You ever thought about how familiarity ruins things for us in our lives? I mean, even in our worship of God. I want to make this statement to you today. We lose the wonder of worship when our view of God becomes corner common. We become so familiar that we think we know who God is, and yet many times we really don't know 
There's a guy by the name of Todd Henry who wrote a book called Die Empty. And in that book, he talks about the curse of the familiar. Whether you realize it or not, the more familiar we are with certain things, if we're not careful, those things become the things in our life we really never get to know in the right way. And in an information age, right, with so much on the internet and so much on social media, we are exposed to so much information, and yet our knowledge, our familiarity with it, doesn't always mean that we fully understand it. Listen to what Todd Henry said. He said, because of my awareness of something, I am often falsely under the impression that I understand it. You ever gotten there in your relationship with God? Because I'm aware that God exists, because I'm aware of who God is, I may have a false understanding of who really God is. And that could be crazy because we lose the wonder of worship when our view of God becomes so familiar that it becomes corner common in our life. So I want to make a statement to you today. Worship, it's about the glory of God. That's what it's about. It's about the glory of God. It's about God and who he is. And he wants to show us who he is. I mean, I've often asked this question. What does worship really look like from heaven's perspective? I mean, I know what it looks like from earth's perspective, right? People are like singing songs and maybe they're raising hands and maybe they're excited and, and, and maybe they're, they're giving, you know, homage and, and praise to God. And that's a really awesome thing. But have you ever thought to ask this question, what does worship look like from heaven's perspective? You know what it looks like? The glory of God. Complete, full, overwhelming. The glory of God. See, because at the end of the day, worship is about God's presence, not our preferences. Worship is about God's presence. Like his presence here is so important, more than what songs we sing or, or what songs we give, or, or it doesn't matter. Worship is about God's presence, not our preferences. And we struggle with that because many times we, we worship God from a deficit. Think about it this way. We often focus so much on what's wrong with us that we never take time to focus on what's right with God. I mean, the light of God's presence will always be greater than my problems. Amen? I got some problems. I mean, I'm a jacked up individual. I wish I could say that I do it right all the time, that I get it right all the time. But there's many times I come to God and say, God, how do you put up with me? <laughs> and God reminds me, Sean, it's not about you. It's about my presence. The light of God's presence is always greater than my problems. So if you have a Bible today, I want you to turn to the book of Luke chapter 2. As you're turning over there, I want to tell you a story of how we get to the story of Luke 2. By the way, Luke 2 is one of the most widely read Christmas story moments in all of Scripture, okay? Anytime Peanuts takes that part of Scripture and puts it in their Christmas production, you know it's big time, right? This is what Linus read from Luke chapter 2. And every time he reads it, I'm like, wow, that is so familiar, it is probably the most familiar quoted passage about Jesus coming to the earth. But you need to understand why Luke 2 is so important. You see, God's people had always had a relationship with God that related to his glory. Let me give you an example. When they were in Egypt, God said, I'm going to lead you out of Egypt, and my presence is going to go before you. My glory is going to go before you. And they got out of Egypt. 
God revealed himself to this guy named Moses. Moses was standing around trying to figure out, you know, what was going to happen in his life, and God shows up in a burning bush and changes his life. It doesn't stop there. God's people, they had a long history with God's glory because after that moment when they were led out, they were in the desert, and the Bible tells us that God's glory, his manifest presence, would be like a pillar of cloud during the day. It would literally lead them around. And then at night, it would be fire by night. There would be this pillar of fire. And everywhere they turned around, God's presence and God's glory was with them. And then 400 years later, after that moment of them moving into the promised land, David says, you know what? I want to build a house for God to dwell in. I want to build a temple. God says, no, you're not going to build it, David, but your son Solomon, he's going to build it. And so Solomon takes up this offering and they build this incredible place for God's glory, God's presence to come and dwell. And so the Bible tells us that when Solomon had finished the temple in 960 BC, he finished the temple, that when he finished it and they opened the temple, the day that the temple opened, they finished it, God consumed and filled the place with his complete presence. It doesn't stop there. See, here, here's the crazy part. 1 Kings 8.11 says this, And the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the temple. I mean, the staff couldn't even get in to do their job. Because when God shows up, (laughs) it all changes. God showed up and he filled the place. He encompassed the place with his presence. And he dwelt with them there, listen, for about 360 years in that temple. And then, the book of Ezekiel, chapter 8. The prophet Ezekiel gets a word from the Lord and the Lord says, Ezekiel, I've looked at the sins of all my people. They continue to just wonder, and they continue to just lose their wonder of who I am. And so, I see the sins of all my people. And and then in chapter 11, he says, but I want you to know something. There's going to be a day, I'm going to come and I'm going to restore my people, and I'm going to give them a brand new heart. But Ezekiel, I'm not going to hang around. And the unthinkable happened. God's glory departed. You see, here's why Luke 2 is so important. It's the first time in centuries that the glory, the manifest presence of God was returning to earth. So if you don't understand the backstory, you don't understand how amazing this moment must. I want you to look at verse 8. It says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. Remember, hundreds of years God's presence had been void from his people. And in this moment, he shows up, and it's so profound. It says, it shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Look at verse 13. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel. In other words, all of heaven was looking down and seeing what was happening. And they said, I want in on this. And so the heavenlies showed up, 
and the worship service got really, really, really good. Because look what it says in verse 14. Here's what they said. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace to those whom his favor rests. Hundreds and hundreds of years of waiting. And in this one moment, God's presence, God's manifest glory, his presence shows up. And when God shows up, he always shows out. He always does. Why? Because God's all about his glory. Did you hear that? God is all about his glory. The problem is we don't understand the glory of God. I mean, why is God's glory so important to us? Why? Here's why. First, God makes himself known to us through his glory. He makes himself known. It's the way he wants to let the world know who he is. The Bible says in verse 9, the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Now, I don't know if you've ever been surrounded by somebody before, but can you imagine that moment? Because we're going to talk about the shepherds next week, but can you imagine the moment of being out in this field, and all of a sudden, all of God's presence surrounds you? All of God's presence surrounds you. You know what you do when you're surrounded? You surrender. You surrender. They weren't going anywhere. There wasn't a guy that said, hey, I'm working extra hours tonight. i got to go home. (laughs) The Bible says when God shows up, he did it because he wanted to make himself known. He wants us to know him through his glory. When you're surrounded, all you can do is surrender. So what is the glory of God? What is it? We hear that word a lot. But we don't know it very much in our culture. Probably 100 years ago, the word glory probably meant a whole lot. But in our culture, it's kind of hidden a little bit. Well, let me say this. The Old Testament word here is the word kabod. The New Testament word is the word doxa, where we get the word doxology from. And it basically means this. It means the weight and the honor and the esteem. Now, so so think about this. In this moment, God shows up on the scene, and when he shows up, he shows out. And in this moment, he surrounds these shepherds, and all of God's weight and all of God's honor and all of his esteem has just come back to the earth. Wow. Can you imagine that? You know what else it means? It means to be renowned, to show oneself great or mighty. So what God was doing is he says, I'm bringing all of me to all of you. What a moment. God always makes himself known to us through his glory. Listen to what Psalms 19.1 says. It says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. What does that mean? The heavens declare the glory of God. Here's what it's saying. The heavens are shouting to us. This is who God is. And I don't know about you. I've been to some amazing places in my life. I've been to some amazing mountain ranges. I've been to some amazing scenic thoughts, and I've seen some stuff. And yet, the Bible says that all of heaven, all of heaven is shouting to us the glory of God. The glory of God. Can I get an amen? The whole earth's shouting. I mean, the Bible says if we don't praise him, like some rock's going to cry out. 
Some of you go, I knew he was a rock. I married him anyway, okay? The truth is this. The heavens declare the glory of God. And and then there's this moment in Scripture. It's in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 3, where Isaiah is coming in and he... His hero's kind of been lost, and he walks into the temple, and the glory of God shows up, and, and all of a sudden, God's, all of God's presence is in there, and he sees these angels, and here's what they're shouting. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The earth is full of his glory. Why didn't he say holiness? Holiness means God's otherness, the fact that God is set apart. But the Bible says when the angels looked at Isaiah, they said these words three times, holy, holy, holy. In other words, this is who God is, this is who God is, and then it says the whole earth is full of his glory. Why? Because God wants to make himself known to us through his glory. He longs to show us who he is. Since creation This is God's heart. I want to reveal myself to these people because I want to have a relationship with them. And so God shows us his glory so that we can know him. So if you're like I was when I was probably younger, here's what I would say. So God stuck on himself. (laughs) Right? Because when we think of glory, we think, oh, well, you're pretty stuck on yourself, aren't you, God? Listen to this statement. Glory is only vain if the object is of no worth. But glory is due where great worth exists. Listen. If your team's number two in the college football playoffs, there's some glory due. Can I get an amen? (laughs) I mean, we get glory there. Because we say, you know what? They beat all these teams. They earned it. They're here. They're here. They're here. But when it comes to God, God's not having an identity crisis. He's not stuck on himself. He's just being himself. Glory is only vain when you can't back it up with worth. So I want to make a statement to you today that I think is amazingly profound. Here it is. God is worthy of all his glory. All of it, every bit of it, nonetheless, all and more, it's who he is. He can back it up. He's perfect and flawless. He doesn't even care how many people follow him. He loves you, but if you choose to deny him, he's still looking at you going, I still am who I am. He doesn't even have to go on Google to figure out what people are saying about him. He doesn't care how many likes he gets. He is completely confident in who he is. And get this, in the midst of all that, he created us and he gave you and I the opportunity to know him and give him glory. He's so self-confident he didn't make us robots. Isn't that crazy? That's pretty confident. I mean, I would have wired all of you with like a a different wiring, but God said, no, I'm going to give them the opportunity to know me. I just think that's amazing. Why? Because God's glory is how he reveals himself to us. But you know what else? Jesus came to reveal God's glory. That's why Jesus came. Jesus came to reveal to us, to all of humanity, the glory of God. Look what it says in verse 10. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah. 
They were afraid. God's presence had shown up, and, the, and they were scared. You know, I mean, think about it. Shepherds don't get scared very easy. They're pretty rough creatures. I mean, they're tougher than the WWF. Come on. All right? And they're out here in the field, and God says when he shows up, he gives them some announcement. He said, hey, I'm about to tell you some great news. God is revealing his glory to the earth because I'm telling you this great news because the Messiah has come. The Messiah is here. God took all of his glory in that moment and he wrapped it in simple humanity. That's awesome. I mean, think about it. The guy who spoke and all of the heavens and the earth were formed. And he took all of that and he wrapped it and he put himself in a child. Why? Because he wanted to reveal his glory to us. Oh, that's just, that's, that's just mind-blowing to me. I mean, look at what John 1.14 says. It says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. He's talking about Jesus. The glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. Glory was returning to the earth and he came through Jesus. And so when Jesus showed up, it was like, Wow. God wants me to know him through his glory, but now he's revealed himself through his son, Jesus. But you know the problem we have with glory? Because some of you, you've already checked out, okay? I get that. You are, oh, Sean, I know. This is the season we talk about glory. I write it on the Christmas ornaments. No, no, no. Here's why. Here's why we struggle with God's glory. You know why? Because we fall short in it. God's glory becomes the measuring stick for us. How do you know that? Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the what? The glory of God. It makes you feel inferior. We see who God is, and then we have to look at who we are, and we go, yuck! Woe is me. That's exactly what happened to Isaiah. He said, woe is me. I'm, a, I'm an unclean dude here. We fall short of of God's glory, and because of that sin, here's what we try to do. Instead of acknowledging God's glory and not becoming so familiar with who we think God is, we try to establish our own glory. Romans 1, verse 22 and 23 says, Although they claimed to be wise, talking about us, humanity, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being in birds and animals and reptiles. That's why we struggle with God's glory, because we fall short of it. And in exchange, we want to exchange God's glory for our own glory. I mean, Jesus had to deal with that. In Matthew 4, he's out in the, 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 the wilderness, and he's fasting, and, and Satan comes to him and says, Hey, Jesus, you can have all of this if you'll just deny God's glory. And Jesus himself had to face it. You can trust if Jesus had to face it, we're going to face it, Right? But I want to tell you the cool thing about this. When God sent Jesus to reveal his glory, God was sending Jesus to fix our flaws so that we could experience God's glory. That's why God sent Jesus. What does it mean that he revealed his glory? He sent Jesus to fix the flaw. That's the beautiful thing. He sent Jesus to fix the flaw so that we could experience all of who God is. And and here's what he wants us to know as a result of that. We were created for his glory. We were created for this. You know, when, when you know what you're made for, 
you typically then know what you're made of. God created us for his glory. And if you haven't heard anything else I've said, I want you to hear this one phrase. Isaiah 43, 7. Listen to what Isaiah says. Everyone who is called by my name, this is God speaking, whom I created for what? My glory. Whom I formed and made. So here's the profoundness of the idea that God created us for his glory. You ready? My true worth is attached to God's glory. Did you get that? My true worth is attached to God's glory. Because my worth is attached to who God is, not who I am. Can I get an amen? Come on, you guys are a little too quiet. Yeah? Are you with me? My identity is not who I am. My identity is who God is. And God says, I created you for my glory. Because my worth is attached to who God is not who I am. So here's the struggle with that. We have two different views. We have my view and then we have God's view. Here's what my view says. God, show me who I am. And when we do that, what we're really saying is, God, I want my glory. Show me who I am. Listen, some of us, we are so sewed up on who we are, we can't understand how worthy God is. Oh, man. That's a myoptic view. Show me who I am. But you know what a God-optic view is? God, show me who you are. Because when I understand who you are, now I finally understand who I am. Some of you, you've spent your whole life trying to figure out who you are. And God's already told you. He created you for his glory. And here's the craziest thing about all this. We discover our true worth When the Jesus that God came to reveal lives in us. God's presence, God's glory revealed through Jesus. And now we understand that we're created for Jesus to live in us. Paul said this. He talked about this. He was talking to the church at Colossians. And he was trying to help them understand how different it is once Jesus is in you. In Colossians 1.27, he makes the statement, he says, To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery. What mystery? Which is Christ in you. The hope of what? The hope of what? Glory. Wow. You see, the story of God's glory is this. He wants us to know who we are. He wants us to know who Jesus is so that Jesus can live inside of us. So why? His glory is can live in us. That's profound. That's profound. That's a game changer for me because basically what he's saying is there are two words that forever change my ability to experience God's glory. Christ in you. Christ in you. In you. Not just with you, in you. And in that moment, here's what God was saying. I want to remove all of your emptiness Remember what I said? When God's glory shows up, he always fills up. And I want to fill you with my glory. So how do we respond to that? Here's how we respond. We bring the greatest glory to God in our life when we respond to Jesus. We bring the greatest glory to ourself when we reject Jesus. How did they respond? Look what they said in verse 14. They ascribed back to God who he is. They said, glory to God 
in the highest. And on earth, peace to those whom his favor rests. Would you bow your heads with me today? Both of our campuses, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. And I just, I want to challenge us today. Have you gotten so familiar with who you think God is that you've looked past who he really is? He's worthy of his glory. He can back it up, and he's backed it up time and time again. Why? Because some of you in this room, you've been saved by amazing grace has changed your life. The grace of Jesus has changed your life, and you become a story of God's glory. What is the greatest way we bring glory to God? When we respond to who Jesus is. So I want to ask you today at both of our campuses, do you know Jesus? Like, do you have a relationship with him? It's one thing to know him as a baby that laid in a manger, but like, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? Because until you do, you you may have a familiarity with who God is, but you may not fully understand who God is. When I gave my life to Christ is when I first understood who I was. And some of you today, Jesus wants to come into your life because he wants you to understand who you are. You were made for his glory. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed,